Bridge kids, you are dismissed. Thank you for joining us for worship. I'd like to invite the rest of us to uh, turn in your scripture to Ephesians chapter 1, if you would please. We always have Bibles on the tables when you come in. We encourage you to grab one if you need one at any time. We introduced... We've just started a series in the book of Ephesians. Last week we introduced the book, and we will continue in chapter 1 this morning. In uh, 2015, a man named John Zoll wrote an article entitled, A Gift That Never Expires. In this article, he told about a friend who was the owner of a high-end department store, which is unnamed, and this friend had given him a gift certificate to the store. We all like gift certificates. So the day that John went shopping at this department store, the owner met him and accompanied him through his shopping uh, trip. And so John picked out a new sport coat, a dress shirt, and some shoes. And John intentionally charged more than was the gift certificate so he could do some business and give back some business to his friend's store. When it came time to pay, the store owner added everything up and said, Well, it looks like you've used up just a little over half of your gift certificate. John was shocked. And he added things up and he made the assumption, My friend has charged me half price. And so after a few weeks... John took his wife back, and they decided together they would shop, and they would buy so many items, and they would go over the limit of the gift certificate so they would give some money back. The owner um, walked with them and went up to uh, the counter to check them out, and he added up this long list of things, And when he got to the end, he said, Huh, guess what? There is no charge. It says zero. By this time, John is a little upset, and he doesn't understand. He protested, No matter what you throw at it, it'll always total zero. And then John said, We finally understood the value of our gift. And how generous this man was and his desire to give it to us. You would probably like a gift certificate like that. Had you ever considered that you already have one? Is it possible that we overlook the value of God's gracious, eternal gift of our salvation? which our Lord took great pleasure in giving us. Do we miss it? We're going to look at this uh, today in Ephesians chapter 1. And so what I want to do is, uh, because we got to verses 13 and 14, and I didn't get a touch on those, and I'm going to do this in the review. But uh, first of all, we looked at verses 1 and 2 and found out that we were called saints. And... Uh, In some translations in the NIV, this is holy ones called saints. Paul writes to the Ephesian believers at the church in Ephesus in, um, 
and he addresses this in verse 1. 62 AD, 30-some years uh, after the death of Christ. Think about it that way. And Paul is probably writing from Rome where we left him in Acts 28. Remember, we, we spent a year going through the book of Acts. We left Paul in prison in Acts 28. It's probably where he writes this letter to the Ephesians. It's called the prison epistle that he wrote from prison in Rome. Um, they're called saints. By application to us, a, a genuine believer in Christ is a saint. If you are a believer, you are a saint, or you may be called a holy one. I don't know if you feel holy. I don't know if you feel like a saint today. Nobody has to elect you to sainthood. God is the one who elects people to sainthood, and he does every believer in Jesus Christ. A saint means that you're set apart to God. When you placed your faith in Christ, he set you apart. He cleansed you. He forgave your sins, and he set you apart for service. Anytime what he's done for us, by God, it's always set apart for service. And that is what he's done for us. You are a saint. It's part of your identity. You are a holy one if you are a genuine believer. It doesn't make any difference about how you feel. It's about what Scripture says. Now, when we place our faith in Christ, we're set apart and our sins are forgiven and because we're clean, we're now usable. However, as we go through life and as a follower of Christ, when I sin, I need to be cleansed. Not for eternal salvation. I need to be cleansed to be usable again. You, if you're a follower of Christ, are a saint. Let's... Let's look at a map. We've got to have at least one map today. And so uh, I want you to see where Ephesus is toward the center. You see some other major cities of the New Testament. We, we saw these in the book of Acts. You can see where Rome is. You can see where Philippi is, Thessalonica, Corinth. And I always want you to see Ankara. And that's where Thornsons are going and where the Hoffmans are going. So don't forget that. It's Turkey. Ephesus is in Turkey. Also, last week, we saw that the believers were chosen by God, by God the Father. And one of the things we're going to see is uh, God works in our salvation. Works in our salvation through six, we're, first of all, chosen by God the Father. We find that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Basically, that means you are super, super, super rich. You probably don't know that. You have a huge bank account you could draw on. It's not all about dollars, by the way, in this bank. Um, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. That's what uh, Paul says. Chosen before the foundation. And the reason God chose you is so that you would be holy and blameless. He has a process for you. He wants you to be in. He wants to, you to grow and, and become more like Jesus. You aren't there yet. I'm not yet, there yet. But we're in a process. And God intends to finish it. You need to know where you're going. It also says we've been predestined. And uh, if you weren't here last week, 
you got to go back and listen to last week's message because I talked all about free will and election. I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, but the scripture says you were predestined for adoption. Adoption was one of those uh, terms in the first century understood in the Roman world. A Roman family could adopt somebody into their family and give them equal status with the rest of the family. And that's what this is about. This isn't about male or female. It's not gender. It's about position of equality toward inheritance, predestined for adoptions into sonship. Also, verses 7 through 12 were redeemed by God the Son. This is Jesus' role in our salvation. Uh, in him we have redemption. So not only the Father, but also the Son. Jesus redeemed us. He gave his life as a ransom payment for our sins. We have a penalty to pay. If we have to pay it ourselves, we're separated from God for eternity. The Bible calls that hell. If Jesus pays our penalty, it's paid in full for all time forever, once for all. We are no longer required to pay our own penalty. We have been released through redemption. This was all of God's plan. It was God's purpose, and it is not ours. We've been redeemed. When we understand that, we know we, we do not own ourselves. We have been purchased by the blood of Christ and we now belong to Him and He is our Lord. And how we live makes a world of difference. It's not about us and it's not about our kingdom. This brings us to the passage we did not look at in, verses, in chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, um, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. First, God included believers in Christ. And we see that in verse 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were included. It means that God took you out of the world, the sphere of the world, the realm of the world, and he placed you into the body of Christ. You're now included. You're now added into the body of Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, he calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit which is a good definition, is what I just said. He took you out of the world and he immersed you into the body and you're now in Christ and you're united with Christ. And you, when, you, when that happens, you have all the benefits of the body of Christ. Um, and it says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, just a reminder, what is that gospel of our salvation? What is that word of truth? And it goes back to who Jesus is and who we are. Jesus is God's son. Jesus laid down his life on our behalf. He, paid the, he died on the cross. He was crucified and he paid the penalty for our sins. He was our substitute. We deserve the death. That's good news. We don't have to pay for our own penalty. And God has made it very easy. It says, when you believe the word of truth, what God comes to us with is this good news and says, do you trust me? Will you believe? Will you place your faith in Jesus Christ? He's not a dead savior. He's alive and well. And when you trust him, 
you experience redemption. You experience uh, forgiveness of sins. Um, also, um, the gospel might be simple as Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's pretty simple. Good news and believed. Secondly, God sealed believers in Christ. This is one of those terms that sometimes I find that Christians don't understand very well. It's very significant. Verse 13, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. By the way, verses 3 through 14 are one long sentence in the Greek language. Paul just goes on with theology, one truth after another, and he just lays it on for us. And we need to take the time to break it down to make sure we understand. Marked in him with the seal. All believers are marked with the seal. He speaks to the Ephesian church. It applies to all the churches in the New Testament, and it applies to us 2,000 years later as believers in Christ. All believers are marked with the seal. This was one of those uh, terms understood very well in the first century. In the first century, the most authoritative seal in the world would have been a seal from the Roman Empire. So, for example, if you were to send an official letter representing the Roman government, if you were to have an official document representing the Roman government, that document would be sealed with a mark, a little, little bit of leather or a little bit of wax on the document, and then uh, somebody in authority would take a ring that represented Caesar, and then it would put that ring right in the wax and leave a, a mark. And that represented the power of the Roman government. And if you mess with that seal and you weren't an appropriate person, you could be put to death. In the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus' tomb was sealed. What does that mean? Well, it was under the guard of, the, of Roman guards, and they would have taken, when they rolled a stone against the tomb, they took some wax, melted it, so there was a seal. And then the soldier in charge would have taken a ring, and he would have marked it. And anybody knew that seal wasn't holding the stone, but the authority was holding the stone. And you don't roll the stone unless you have the authority to do that. All believers are marked with the seal. And the Apostle Paul explains the seal is the Holy Spirit. This isn't wax that's going to melt. This is God himself who is the mark that you are sealed with if you are a follower of Christ. And then we read, and this is amazing, verse 14, the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory, by the way, to the praise of his glory, by the way, the Holy Spirit given to every believer is a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. Anybody here ever bought a house? Anybody here ever put down a down payment? For example, depends on 
I don't know what, the, what people have to do for down payments these days. Uh, sometimes first-time buyers have no down payment. Sometimes it's a 5% down payment. If you've been around a while, they expect 20%. 5% of a $100,000 home would be $5,000 you'd have to save up. If you saved up $5,000, I don't think you'd want to throw it away. If you had to have, 20, if you had to have a 20% of a $200,000 home, That'd be $40,000. I don't think he'd want to throw that away. Well, God has given himself, the Holy Spirit, as a down payment, and he's not going to throw that away. He, it's the genuine deal. And he is the deposit. He is the down payment of what's to come. It's just the beginning. It's just a foretaste. It's just part of your connection with the eternal living God. And he's the down payment that guarantees our ultimate salvation. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to look at this passage later. Because our sin can cause grief, can cause pain to God. He says don't do that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then he gives this description. We learn some theology about the Holy Spirit right here and how it affects a Christian. With whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. How long are you sealed? Will God remove the seal? Not until the day of redemption. And ultimately, kingdom where there's going to be no more pain and no more sorrow, no hanging, bring no more death. That's how long you're sealed. You think you can hang in there until then? This is big picture stuff right here. And it's so many people get caught up in worrying. Am I saved? Can I lose my salvation? It's not about you. It's about him. I already know you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I am not good enough to be saved. I never have been and I never will be. You aren't either. It isn't based on your performance. You are not good enough to be saved. You are not good enough to maintain your salvation. We sometimes get into this thing that I've got to be good to maintain my salvation. Well, you need to honor God with your life. That's the, that's the motivation is to live in response to his love for you. Respond back to him with your love by following him. But it's not about maintenance of salvation. He did it. It's his work it was his good pleasure. It's not about you. And so our job is to be thankful and live in response. And then just a reminder, the purpose of God's work in our salvation is to bring praise to his glorious name. And that's how verse 14, to the praise of his glory. You see, God receives glory the way we live. Um, he receives glory when we worship Him on Sundays, when we thank Him in the week, when we give Him praise. He, he receives glory. His name is magnified. He, re- he receives glory when you honor Him with your life throughout the week. Okay, and that brings us to our passage right now, the passage for this morning, 15 through 23. And this is, has a... Uh, very complicated title. It says, Pray to Understand. Pretty simple? Okay, I'm pretty simple. I told you it was simple. 
Verses 15 through 16, pray for others. The Apostle Paul begins, for this reason. What reason? Well, the reason is verses 3 through 14. He just gave it to us. 3 through 14. One long sentence. He said, you, you've been predestined. You've been chosen. You've been adopted into sonship. You've been given an inheritance. You've been given riches. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven your sins. For this reason, Paul says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I all knew these people at this time. I heard about your faith in Jesus. I don't know that Paul knew these people at this time personally. I heard about it, Paul says. I heard about your faith in Christ. I heard about how you came to faith in Christ. I heard about this church at Ephesus and what it was doing. And then I heard about the love that came out of this church. How that love was expressed. It was about this vertical relationship with God. Faith in Christ. And that changed things. And it, it spilled over into the horizontal relationships with people. And it was the love they had. And by the way, they're dependent on each other. Your vertical relationship with God should have a profound effect on how you treat others. And how you treat others can have a profound effect on how you treat God. Okay? Paul heard about this. And so he was moved to prayer. I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. He thanked God for these believers and he remembered them. This is a model prayer for us. Who do you thank God for? Who do you thank God for? Who do you remember in your prayers? Do you remember each other in your prayers? You should. You should remember people outside of this room too. But Paul gives us a model prayer. And, it, and it's a continual. I've not stopped giving thanks. And you, if you read through the letters that he wrote in the New Testament, you can see this was just his modus operandi. He prayed for these people. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our community. Those people in our lives in the workplace, in school, in the neighborhood. Verses 17 and following, pray for wisdom and understanding. Now, I hope uh, this is helpful to you. Look at verse 17. I keep asking. He keeps on. It's a continual thing. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation because you need it. Something you need here. You need wisdom and a, you need uh, understanding for the spirit of wisdom, meaning they've already received the Holy Spirit. That's clear, verse 14. He's not playing, praying that they get another spirit, he's, he's praying that the Holy Spirit gives them wisdom. But they need to pray, they need to ask God for it because it just doesn't show up on its own. It's a result of dependence on God and asking in prayer. Ask for wisdom. Wisdom about how things work in the spiritual realm. Do you know how things work in the spiritual realm? 
Yes, you know probably a lot of things. Do you need to know more? Does it, would it help you to understand? Would it help your worldview if you understood more about how things work, how things operate in the spiritual world, how God intended the Christian life to work? Uh, he's saying, pray that you'll have this wisdom, this spiritual understanding, this insight. And then he prays for the Holy Spirit to to give them a uh, revelation so that they can understand more about who God is and what He is like and how He works. Uh, It's so important because people get so discouraged over things that happen in their life because there are things they don't know about God. They just have a little small taste. Um, it's been amazing to watch Mike and Angie Blazel go through the death of a daughter. How painful. I have no idea how I, could, I would do that. They walk through the pain. They, it hurts. They're extremely sad. They don't understand. They have a lot of why questions. And yet, they just come back to Christ and trust Him with their future, those answers, they would like to change the whole thing. But they're going to walk forward with God. Pray for wisdom. Pray that you'll understand. Pray that God will show you more. You know, it's just not going to happen if you show up for church on Sunday or if you go to a Bible study. It's a day in and day out walk. Ask God. Have you ever prayed this for anybody else? Have you ever prayed this for your kids? How do you expect your kids to grow and understand more if you as a parent don't pray for them? That they'll, uh, that the Holy Spirit will reveal wisdom and unveil things about God to them. Verse 17, pray for growing Pray for growth in knowing Christ. And this is like really simple. He says, so that you may know him better. Want to know Christ better? That Paul uses this to know Christ. Uh, the word is gnosko. It means intimate, personal, experiential knowledge. Knowing Christ personally in experience. In your walk with him day in and day out. Because you've prayed because he's encouraged you, because he's empowered you, because he's answered prayer. You know him because you've uh, communicated with him in his word. You know him because he's provided for you. You know him. It's your walk. You want to know him better? Pray that you will know him better. Um. Secondly, pray that you will understand all that God has given you in salvation. Pray that you will understand all the riches of your eternal gift certificate. Pray that you can grow in your understanding of what meant about your inheritance in salvation. He says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I was assigned this passage in seminary in a Greek class on exegesis. I had a terrible time with this passage because of praying for the eyes of your heart. How do you do with that? 
How do you go? And, and it's just a metaphor that Paul is using here. The eyes of your heart. He's praying for spiritual perception. That, that you would be able to see and understand things spiritually. The eyes of your heart. The, the word for heart here does not refer to your emotions. It's not about how do you feel about this, what touches you. Your emotions are included, but it's about your mind and your will to choose. It's about your inner person. That's the heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, but it's not the same word, no. It's a bit more about knowing the situation and understanding the situation, the facts, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. In order that you, you, there's something you need to know. You need to know the hope that he's called you. The word hope here, the, the concept in the New Testament is not subjective hope. We sometimes use hope like, well, I hope it's true. Well, I hope I go to heaven. That's not what it means at all. The hope is objective, not subjective. It's not just a little idea in my mind. It's a truth and reality beyond me that actually exists, and I get to know about it, and I have this hope beyond the grave. I have this hope of the eternal kingdom. I have this hope that one day there's going to be no more death and no more dying and no more tears and no more pain. And that's an objective reality. And it's part of my salvation. It's the hope to which he's called me. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now sometimes inheritance refers to our inheritance the riches we have. But this time, right here, it refers to God's inheritance, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. What does that mean? It means you, as a follower of Christ, are His inheritance. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. You are His prize, you are a work in progress. You and I are not there yet. But one day, when he completes us, it's going to be a, his glorious inheritance. Um, verses 19 through 23, pray for spiritual understanding of God's incomparably great power at work in us and for us. Um, do you understand God's power? We have some clues here. Verses 19. He connects it back. Pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Verse 18. Nor that you may know. Then he comes to verse 19. And I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is something we need to understand. God has great power for us who believe. It is His resource for His purposes available to us for His purposes, not for our self-serving purposes. It's not about advancing my kingdom or my bank account or my career. It's about His career. And He has made this power available to us and for us. This power, verse 20, raised Christ from the dead. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Uh, God miraculously changed the dead body of Jesus in the tomb 
one like no other. And then um, God's power, after 40 days, raised Jesus to heaven. God's power raised Jesus to the right hand of God, verse 20, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus into the heavenlies and seated him at the right hand, the ascension. And, and Jesus sat down in this position of authority, the most important position in the kingdom of God, at God's right hand. The description of God's power continues in verse 21. God's power is far above all other powers, including angels, Satan, and demons. And we see that in verse 21. It says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the... It includes, by the way, those are all ranks of angels, authority, power, dominion, rule, authority, power, and dominion, ranks of angels, good and evil, good angels or demons, which includes Satan... And Jesus and his position is far above Satan, any demonic host. Going back to the first century and all the magical arts and powers that people relied on and going into the 21st century, all the powers that people rely on, supernatural things, magical things. And if there is such a thing as alien powers, he's far above the aliens too. He is far above. Verses 22 and 23, God's power, um, and this is bringing us to the end of the passage, God's power upholds Christ his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. I think this is a very reassuring and secure picture, Jesus is in charge of the church. God has created this new body, the church. And here he's referring to the universal church from Acts chapter 2, the very beginning, the first day, when Peter preached and there was uh, 3,000 came to faith at Peter's sermon. The church got its start, the first church. And every person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ since that day around the world, the church is this huge group, the body of Christ. But in communities, just like Eau Claire, God has established local churches. He did it in Ephesus. He did it in Corinth. He did it in Philippi. Local Maine universal body of Christ, believers, communities of believers, and that's what we are. We are a community of believers. We are a church, and there are other churches in this town that represent Christ and represent him well, but we are a local church, and God has delegated to his church, his body, his power. For his purposes. And one of the things uh, that's important in this concept, one of the implications is it's important for you to be close to his body if you want to be around his power and his strength. 
It comes in community. His church. You get out there on your own, you're going to cut yourself off. Not lose your salvation. And cut yourself off from growth. And for the opportunity of relationships and God's plan for you to grow. God placed all things under his feet. and feels everything in every way. So, Jesus Christ is the head. And he is the, we are the hand. He is the one who nourishes the body. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And we are to serve him and to serve others and to serve our community. The strength and power are available to us every day to carry out his will. To grow as Christ followers. His power is available to overcome temptation to sin. Uh, sometimes our problem is, is that we just want to use his power to solve our problems so we'll be okay and we'll be happy. And God cares about those things, but that's not the main reason he left us here on earth. Is so we could be happy and we could get our little needless filled up. He left us here to be on mission to help people connect with God. So here's what we've talked about. Pray that you know Christ better. Haven't thought about this. You, you've been given a gift of salvation. There's a lot about it you don't know. Paul modeled a prayer for us. He prayed for others. He gave thanks. He mentioned them in his prayers, what their needs were. Pray that you will understand the value. You'll grow in your understanding of the eternal gift certificate you've been given. Pray that you will understand God's power for us who believe to be on mission for him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul says this. 2 Corinthians, there we go. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ. It's of stone, but on tablet ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul says to this church, you are a letter to everybody. People read you. They watch your life. And they're trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. And that applies to us. We are a letter. People read us. What do they see? What do they understand? Do we represent him well? We, we are to be ambassadors for Jesus. Are we doing a good job of being ambassadors? Or are we sloppy at representing him? We, we've named this uh, series, Let's See Your ID. Your ID, your identity in Christ. Can people identify you as a Christ follower? Are you living out your faith? Do you live in a way that shows you're following Jesus? Let's stand and pray. Father, I want to thank you for Jesus Christ and his gift of redemption.
Thank you that according to your word that you have chosen us in Christ. I don't understand all of that. Thank you that you've given us the offer of the gospel, that we have the freedom to choose and to believe in Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for our inheritance, the riches we have in Christ. Thank you that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given us power to live the Christian life. Help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Help us to, help us to rely on the power from the Holy Spirit that you've given us to live for you, to advance your cause, to walk into your mission, to help people connect with God, to be an ambassador for Jesus. Help us to live for you. That means dealing with temptation on a daily basis and overcoming our sin. Thank you that you've made that possible and that we have that resource from the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Help us to live as ambassadors for Christ, for Jesus' sake. Amen.